And welcome to another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. oh wow. <laughs> Man, those dice are screaming. I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And together we form the Dice Men of The Dice Are Screaming podcast. Welcome. It's another Tuesday and we're coming at you this week with some topic of great import. Literary. Or literally. Ah, well, literally literary. Yeah. Huh. And nicely so, but we're, we're not going to spoil it just yet. Yeah, we hope you've had a good week. It looks like finally spring has fully sprung, uh, depending on where you're at. There is some snow still falling somewhere, I'm sure. But it's been uh, rather nice, so um, as we are, we're running a little late for a podcast, but we're still coming at you. Purely my own fault. Oh. Uh, had a dinner date with uh, family. Uh, my brother has flown in from the Isle of Malta and is in town for the week. So uh, every opportunity to kick back and spend time uh, is being spent. So Yeah, and also tales of great steak. Oh, well, yeah, uh, that ribeye was something else. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just going to say that as I sit here uh, expounding upon gaming lore, uh, I am literally replete <laughs> with uh, potatoes and ribeye and broccoli. Uh, broccoli, not my usual thing, but, yeah, you know, the guy really knows how to, to make everything just a little bit better. Yeah, but it's steak, so, hey. Well, be yeah, it's ribeye. I, uh, I, was, yeah. I was neck deep in ribeye, and I just honestly, I came out of it with my muzzle like a wolf. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Slabbering and covered in the blood of the fallen. It's not really, it wasn't pretty, people. It wasn't no. pretty. Well, yeah, good on you for that. Well... We also had a call in from our 2018, so we're going to get right to that. But Joe Richter called in from the Wheel World Podcast, so we'll get right to that. Take it hey, away, Joe. Joe hey. Hey, what's up, boys? It's Joe Richter again. Uh, another awesome show. I just want to call in and say, while I never really read any of the comics as a kid, I came across one or two of them in my youth, but never saw too many. But where I did fall in love with Judge Dredd as a child was from the Anthrax song, I'm the Law, off the album Among the Living. If you've never heard that album, you got to listen to it. It fucking rocks. It's one of the best metal albums of all time. I mean... It's got a song about Judge Dredd and a song about The Stand on the same album. What more do you want? Always awesome to hear from you guys. Have a great night and a great weekend. Peace out. All right. Thanks for that, Joe. Uh, yeah, we really liked uh, 2000 AD's influence on a lot of different culture, Judge Dredd, and others, of course, in video games, as well as music, mostly metal and punk. Oh, yeah, which, uh, you know, those were the, the subcultures that really picked up on it. Uh, the, alt- the the crowds who were listening to, you know, a lot of alternative music were also the ones reading a lot of alternative comics. Yeah. So it, it just was a natural fusion of elements. But, oh, man, kudos. I gotta, I gotta look up I Am The Law. Yeah, well, Anthrax, that's a great album, so. Um, but, uh yeah, we were really pleased with the reception of that. Uh, it was one of those little segments where we took some time out to cover one of our vanity projects. And, you know, always a big fan of uh, comics and their influence, not only in culture, but just how influence in gaming and Judge Dredd did spawn a lot of uh, fun role-playing games. We've got a new edition out now, so check that out if you're hip to that. But, uh, yeah, Judge Dredd, man. Uh, <laughs> great survivor stuff. from... 
those golden old days of 2018 comics. So that's going to bring us around to our topic for tonight, which is also... Yeah, now we're going much... <laughs> okay, Mr. Peabody, where are we going in the Wayback Machine today? Well, we're going to go back all the way to the 30s, to a beloved uh, series of books, which are called loosely the Lankmar series, and we're going to be uh, talking about Lankmar, or Fafford and the Grey Mouser, and the AD&D game, and all that. Yes, because as some know, uh, TSR did publish a Lankmar campaign setting, uh, once, and once only. Well, they, they did give a couple uh, itinerations through second edition to it, but uh, it kept pretty much core to the AD&D game, which roughly uh, did inspire it, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that, it's, it's a worthy a worthy tidbit. I mean, you know, we're not worthy of, of even doing the examination on this, but, I mean, what can you expect from the, the missing left sock of gaming podcasts? Yes. You know, we're just, we're probably not qualified to go over this, but we're going to do it anyway. That's right. We're not Dan the that. torpedoes, full steam ahead. <laughs> We're not going to let that stop us. No, we, we never have. Oh, yeah, if we, if we let our incompetence stop us, I mean, we wouldn't be doing anything. Yeah, and, you know, more to the point, Prince Lieber was the author, but uh, he actually uh, wrote the original series, which was spans about 40 years of writing and various uh, genres. Throughout it, uh, he would write other things. He was also a science fiction author. He had won... Uh, Three, or six Hugo Awards, as well as uh, three Nebula Awards, and uh, often forgotten a World Fantasy Life Achievement Award, uh, as many others as well. But he wrote a lot of science fiction too. But he would always return to Fafford and the Gray Mouser, which was more or less a correspondence between him and a guy called Harry Fisher in the thirties. And it was uh, original one was written in thirty seven, and would continue hmm. on for another forty years. And uh, Basically concerned two characters, primarily uh, Fritz Lieber writing himself as Fafford, this big, brawling sprawn of a man who was just this northerner with a red beard, red hair, six foot eleven, just a massive giant, a brute, with a deep passion for poetry and, well, love of drink and women, and as well as a lust for adventure. Uh, worth noting that uh, Fafford was often more than willing to let people mistake his size for stupidity. Mm -hmm. You know, he's huge and well-armed and muscular. He must also be stupid. He was not, uh, in the, the great adventurer sense, uh, he was not a gigantic... Uh, Oaf. Oaf, yeah. in any respect. He was, you know, very cunning and had his own philosophical thoughts about the nature of the universe and man. Uh, but he played those close to his vest most of the time. Yes, he kept his own counsel on that, but he was accompanied by his friend, the Grey Mouser, who was this short, swarthy fellow who was raised in civilization with all that entails, with its wickedness and treachery, and was always looking for a keen advantage over others. But uh, still had a bit of the spark of human spirit inside of him. Oh, yeah. Just a little sense of humor that uh, got along well with his gigantic friend, that they could quip back and forth and have just as much fun. Uh, <laughs> well, 
Sometimes the, the quipping takes the edge off of a bad day when you've just won a fortune and lost it in the same afternoon. <laughs> All you got left is, well, let's go find a beer and just laugh about it. Otherwise, yep. I'm going to cry. <laughs> but well, that, what did you spend it on? Oh, oh. women, drink, and food. And the rest, I fitted away on triviality. Yes. <laughs> Squandered the rest on meaningless things. Yep. <laughs> That's important. But most of their adventures took place in the city of Lankmar, which, uh, of course, is the city of adventure. A dark, smoky, very wicked place full of scheming thieves, guilders, and merchants. And also a number of priests. And into this, of course, it's a sword and sorcery adventure. Magic plays quite a bit of a role in Lankmar, although not quite in the way that you would think of it in a normal D&D type setting. Um. Some may recall from one of our very earliest podcasts a discussion on the Appendix N and the DM Guide, which covered uh, certain authors whose works were part and parcel of the creation of D&D, things that were profoundly inspirational to the creation of the game. Uh, Fritz Lieber was among those listed, uh, and not as like a, a minor side note, like, you know, one little teensy facet may have found its way into the game. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, as much so as Conan the Barbarian uh, or J.R.R. Tolkien, Fritz Lieber is very much one of the, the big pillars of support you know, that, that brought the game into being. Yeah, and <clears throat> their stories will be collected later, but uh, they were mostly short stories written uh, for various pulp magazines early on, and later they would get their own billing and collaborations, mostly like Swords Against Wizardry or uh, Swords of Blankmar. It, it was always Swords or something, but it was always, if you got one of those novels, you always knew you were in for a treat because there was going to be plunder, skullduggery, treachery, and magic afoot, and all sorts of misgrandering with those two getting in and out of trouble constantly. <laughs> and they had a knack for finding themselves in situations that others would run away from screaming. Yeah, especially the magic in the Lankmar system. Uh, probably worth mentioning, uh, right out of the gate, uh, it doesn't sync up well with the magic system that uh, wound up being predominant in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, the spell memorization was more reminiscent of what were the, what was the name of the novels? Uh, the oh, the Vance and the Vance. Uh, Dying Earth. There it is, yes. Jack Vance. Uh, it was the Vance novels that wound up being the basis for most AD and D magic. However, uh, magic in Fritz Lieber's world is, albeit slower and clunkier, hideously dangerous. Yes, and. I'd like to touch that in a minute and just go right back to one of the things you expounded on is that uh, while uh, Fritz Lieber created a world uh, for his characters to adventure in, it mostly centered around Lankmar, but it was much more expansive than that. It wasn't as broad in scope as uh, Howard's Hyboria, and it wasn't as detailed as Tolkien's Middle-earth, but it was detailed, and it did have various cultures and things going on, including uh, non-human races such as... Well, there were dwarves, oh, but they yes. were very, very rare, and rarely seen, but they were about as well as gnomes. But uh, 
Oh, ghouls. The ice gnomes. Uh, and ghoul meant something entirely different. Yeah, they were a race of people who were born with translucent skin. So all you saw was their bones. Yep. You saw the skeleton walking at you, you know. Yep, and they were nocturnal, so they mostly attacked at night. And uh, they were somewhat uh, avaricious and predatory, but they could be dealt with. Oh, yeah, they were not a completely brutish race, okay? This, these were not, like, mindless monsters. Uh, however, you can imagine, uh, with such an appearance, that they would probably be at odds with most other people. Yes, and also they were fond of morbid humor. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and also prone to cannibalism, although that's not entirely true of all of them. Not of all of them, but, you know, certainly the kind of habit that would worry most outsiders. Yeah, you, you know? don't feel comfortable in a room with them if uh, the rations are running low. Yeah, that, that, that's one of those moments where... <laughs> yeah. Guard so, your own back. But, uh... More on that in a minute, but yeah, getting back to the magic system and the gods, you know, uh, gods were plentiful in Lankmar. They're the city of, uh, the street of a thousand gods, so it's called. The temple district, uh, with its countless, countless uh, little niche religions for every this or that. Yeah, from mystery cults to full-blown temples and worldwide monotheistic religions that proposed that their god was the singular deity of all, or some that just got along with others. It ran the gamut of almost everything. And so, into that... Bearing in mind, of course, that the guy writing it uh, became an Episcopalian minister at the age of 22, uh, before his writing career, you know... <laughs> yeah, and also most noteworthy is that he uh, wrote several Broadway plays as well, as starred in several motion pictures. Yes. Uh, notably, what is it here? Uh, Camille and Equinox. Yeah, uh, that guy had quite the varied career, but... Uh, yeah, he was a bit actor uh, here and there, but uh, he was kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Also a poet laureate, apparently. Ah, which is not a small feat. I mean, it's no. one thing to be a poet. Anybody can be a poet. You don't even have to publish a book. You can, you know, create a poem, you're a poet. But to be a poet laureate... Uh, is to be acknowledged by your peers as having done something truly exceptional. Yeah, yeah. So he, the uh, the term Renaissance man does apply to him. In yes, so um, well worth looking. But into. these two cats would write correspondence through letters and conjure up these ideas for adventures. Like, what do you think Greg Mouser would do? And Harry Fisher would write back, you know, this comprehensive list of options that the Greg Mouser would do. He would ask these questions. He would look at the cut of a person. Even the proverbial meeting a stranger in the tavern comes right out of Lankabar. You know, a mysterious robed stranger calls you forth, and these two hie to the call of adventure to steal a gem from a wizard's tower. Well, you know, pretty much right there, my first D&D adventure coined right in... Yeah, that it literally is. It, it's a trope for a reason, uh, but it's a darn good trope. It's not one we should hate. It's not one we should distance ourselves from. Sometimes uh, the little quest light goes off on top of the uh, bartender's head. Uh, or, or that guy sitting in the back of the bar. A little quest marker. And you just walk over there and boom, the adventure has begun. Uh, that trope is wonderful for a reason. We, we love it because it's a piece of history. And when you're dealing with a series of pulp novels from literally the 1930s, uh, you begin to see that like there's there's a wonderful passed down heritage there 
the, the, the video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the later novels that came, and then the, the advent of the video game, and all of these other things. Uh, you're looking at one of the origin points. Yeah, the mysterious stranger in the tavern. We're literally right out of there. You know, you would like, wait a minute. Does he have a yellow exclamation point over his head? <laughs> Why, yes, he does. Uh, and they were aided in their exploits by Ningobble of the Seven Eyes. You know, these, this powerful alien sorcerer where you just see the small stalked tentacles coming out from underneath his hood. You know, sort of a portly, robed figure always sitting in lotus position, levitating occasionally or <laughs> shrouded in mist, and would pontificate or give answers to their various questions. Also, uh, Shielba of, what was her name? Let's see here, Shielba of the Eyeless Face. Another alien sorceress, and uh, although it was not necessarily discernible her gender, it was, she referred to herself as a her, so. Um, not a likable person, but Grey Mouser's uh, mentor as well, and they would over, help them and oversee their quests and provide them with sometimes very vague hints on how to complete their quests. So again, you know, a DM, you know, fiat character. Yeah, you've got a little ex deus machina there when you need it. Uh, not, maybe not all powerful, but... You know, something to move the plot forward. Frustratingly vague at times. Yeah. That how do they get an answer to this question when the information isn't available by any other source? Well, we go back to the well. And we go. Yep, and also Shielba had a magic hut that could travel throughout the multiverse, Shades of Baba Yaga. Yeah. You know, so definitely he knew his stuff. And, you know, into this they came into the mix of Lankmar. Now, uh, you can read the novels for yourself and you can see various... Uh, you know, feats of daring do, sword play. The combat is very heavy in that, and also their the way that they fight is very different. Uh, Mouser with his rapier and a keen dagger called Cat's Paw, and uh, his rapier Needle, and of course uh, Fafford with Grey Wand and his heavy dirk Heart Seeker. Even though he lost the swords many times, he named them the same. Yeah, he would just go buy another, and well. This is Grey One the, the Third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, they had different styles of fighting. Bafford was prone to going berserk at times. He could conjure the Northman Fury. Yeah, worst case scenarios. Uh, you know, kind of an orcish ferocity moment there. Where yeah. He does Sir not Ra- care <laughs> anymore. Yeah, and the, and the Grey Mouse knew to stay away from him in that. Sometimes <laughs> he had a hard time telling friend from foe until he had a few moments of peace. Yeah. Just wait, wait for it, kick back, go have a drink somewhere else for a while. <laughs> when there's nothing else, when when nothing is twitching on the battlefield, <laughs> and he looks like his eyes are back in their sockets, then go talk to him. Uh. And, you know, that is kind of the epitome of making a nice character, and they have a deep, colorful background, both of them. And, of course, you know, throughout the novels, magic, as we were talking earlier... Uh, is much different, and it parlays very close with what magic is for literary or for writers. I mean, it was a means to an end. And not all who practiced sorcery were evil. Uh, the Grey Mouser had, in essence, some magical training and could use the magical arts, but he was prone, he was taught by a black magician at first, and then was taught by a white wizard later on in his life who taught him the essence of balance and return. A very deism, deist form of magic. And, you know, 
a re healthy respect for the two sides and also the cost thereof. Yeah, using black magic yeah. costs. Sometimes it might just be safer to break in and steal it. Sure, you can use the magic to get what you want. But are you using the magic, or is the magic using you? Uh, there, there's a whiff of that distrust in Grey Mouser, that kind of understanding that hey, everything comes at a cost, and I have very carefully weighed what I'm willing to spend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole thing, too, is that you wanted to make a... When you use magic, it was used with caution and trepidation. But a couple of stories stick out. The treasure house of Ergan, of, at Nargia. Nargi, excuse me. Boy, that's a tongue twister right there. Mm. And Garni. Nargi? Oh, jeez. Yeah, that look. Uh, I will say one thing about Fritz Lieber is that uh, he had some amazing names uh, that just, like, word soup. Yeah, but <laughs> they made a certain type of poetic sense. Angarngi? Angarngi, yes. Angarngi. Ah, uh, pardon. A thousand pardons, Fritz. There we are. I'm probably mangling it too, but, but uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt. The jewels of the treasure house that they had to go in, it turned out to be that it was a wizard's crypt and had been suffused with his presence and could change its passageways and doors and create traps if needed. And Wow, if there isn't just an AD&D adventure just springing right out of that that people took hold of and ran with later. <laughs> a sentient homicidal building? This is exactly how Maximum Overdrive started! <laughs> no, uh, you know, you look at guards and wards, spells, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, randomly occurring traps or magically reset traps in Illusions some of the early dungeons. And yeah, trickery, deception. Uh, misty passageways that would change. You'd walk a few steps in a minute and you'd go try to retrace your steps back only to find that it curves in a different direction than what you remember. Yeah. Yeah, guardian wards. Yeah. So a lot of stuff was uh, very formulative, I think, in the original creator's mind. And it's good stuff. And, you know, it's not that they were stealing or anybody had rights or it was a, you know, terrible thing that they did, but... These were the roots of where people read uh, imaginative adventure fiction in the day, and Fritz Lieber was not uh, shy about using sorcery quite a bit. Where other authors were kind of, you know, uh, you know, only use magic in certain extents. Yeah, you didn't see somebody else uh, throw it around quite so heavily until Michael Moorcock came along mm -hmm. with Elric of Malibony. Uh And Elric, you know, happily called on magic left, right, and center, just... Boom, boom, boom. Every chance he got. You know, Ariok ate me. You know, just calling on evil powers or, you know, morally neutral powers, elemental uh, pacts, things like that. Well, if you roll it back to 1937, Mr. Lieber was already well ahead of the curve, yep. establishing that magic was kind of a fabric of the everyday life, thing that you would encounter and run into, especially if you were putting yourself out there at risk, if you were in search of adventure, uh, there was just a bevy of nasties out there waiting for you. Yeah, and he had a great uh, pantheon for Nguyen, or, uh, excuse me, a pantheon, a bestiary of Nguyen, from things like astrobols to behemoths, the uh, uh, killer whales that walked on land, <laughs> with stubby legs, and just ate everything. 
Uh, very dangerous creatures and furred snakes, ice snakes as they were called. The gladiator winter, uh, lizards Ooh. in the swamps. You know, very dangerous creatures. Besides just fighting humans, they were often pitted against monsters, although not quite the way that we would in an AD&D game think of it. For the time, it was quite revelatory about how you would stock a world with non-human creatures and also maleficent beasts that would threaten and keep civilization at bay. Yeah, you could see even in his earliest works that the guy was, even in his fantasy writing, was already flirting with science fiction. Uh, you know, and this at a very early time period. Science yeah, that, fiction didn't hit its heyday uh, for some time yet. Yeah, and let's also re- remember that uh, Tolkien was, Lord of the Rings was originally put as in the science fiction section. Yeah, that they, well, but this was mostly due to lack of sections. They didn't yeah, know what they, else to call it. Yeah. It's weird. I don't feel comfortable. Put it in that weird stuff. Corner. Yeah, weird people are making those weird books. And that was my favorite corner in every bookstore. Yeah, the science fiction area. But uh, you find a lot of uh, magic and monsters and also magic items like invisible gems. Oh, yeah. yeah trying to sell those up. I got a pouch full of invisible gems. Well, you do. Yeah, look at these. Pick them up. Aren't these beautiful? Just hold them in your hand. Wow, it's real. No, oh, wow. How much is it worth? I don't know. How much would you charge for an invisible gem? They couldn't fence them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and getting screwed on the treasure was also a fine thing. Yeah, they spent, what, three books trying to fence those darn gems. Yeah, it came back up. Well, we still got the invisible gems. Holding out for a rainy day. <laughs> yeah, we find somebody stupid enough to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's easy to imagine Grey Mouser, uh, you know, like, it, might as well put them in a sack, uh, tell some local yokel farmer that they're beans and tell him to bury them in his backyard. <laughs> yeah. Magic yeah, that's about beans. as good as magic beans. But also, uh, the gods were real, and even times like Hate, the god of hate, you know, this amorphous being of just malevolent mist that would pick up uh, manifest weapons and nothing but eyes, hateful eyes glaring out of the mist as it sees through Lankmar destroying people, and the gods of Lankmar, which were the ancient progenitors of the city, the first priest kings. And if you rang the uh, the black bell on the temple, they would come. But when they did so, they would destroy whatever evil they were that they were summoned to confront. But then would run amok in the city, <laughs> striking others down so they were not summoned too often. Yeah, just as you know, like okay, I appreciate that the situation was dire, but I don't want this. I don't want this bell ringing like every weekend. Oh, army at the gates. Oh, we pissed off some more people. Whoops, summoned a hideous monster from the underrealm. No, no. This was one of those things where you ring this bell, you mean it. There are no other options. Are you sure this isn't overkill? I pray that this is enough kill. Enough kill, yeah. So you would summon them with great loathing because they would run amok in the city for days, attacking anyone. So, you know... Here we have a multi-pantheon. Of course, Death himself uh, gets featured as a god who has this quota he has to fill constantly. <laughs> you know, this ain't rather harried god, you know. Yep. Well, you gotta keep the quota up. <sighs> I have no time for this. And also, were-rats came more or less un, uh, fully formed out of Lankmar. Oh, really? Yes, the rats. The rat god and his minions who could take 
the shape of humans for a short period of time under the light of the moon. Of course, they weren't the were-rats that we would know as lycanthropes, but, or lycanthropes. It's a close enough concept, and remember, it's in one of the books that was an early influence on the readers of science fiction and fantasy fiction uh, as they came into their own as adults and eventually wound up being the gamers who created the game. So, for those haunting those sections. But let's talk about this book itself. Yeah, this, now, it, now we've talked about this, uh, we've, we've gushed a little bit about Nuon, which is an, a nice fantasy setting in any right. And um, the real star of this, though, is the Lankmar City Adventure booklet. Now, if you can get it, they're still uh, somewhere around. They're about, they're about $30, $40 on eBay, or you can pick them up in a cheap bin here and there, or sequestered between the uh, oldies books at your local game store where you can find uh, better quality products. Um, you might be able to come across a copy pretty cheap. So, But if you get it, the best thing out of it is the city system. It does cover a lot of the monsters and uh, denizens of the world of Nuan. But the city generation system in here allows you to randomly make blocks very quickly that are filled full of shops, merchants, and other places that would be uh, used to adventures or places to adventure. From an abandoned warehouse to uh, stash your goods or run a scam <laughs> to a grand temple uh, replete with uh, its worshippers and a number of priests and attendants. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that in this system, uh, they break a city up into districts, areas with the most likely uh, association of similar interests. Uh, so you would have, for instance, an area that is a temple district, and the temples of a great variety of deities and the various services that would build up around a variety of temples uh, are all present in that zone. Uh, and then, you know, a district for the wealthy, uh, where the more elite citizens of a city like to dwell amongst their own. Yeah, uh, of course, you know, uh, for instance, pretty much every major fantasy fiction city has a bad area. Oh, yeah. The, the Tenderloin, the Stews, the Boil. The Narrows. Yes, you know, those concepts are provided also in the Lankmar book, which, as a DM tool, independent of the setting that you're working with personally, it's just a great tool. Yeah, and I'll just give you one here. It's like the Broken Wheel, owned and operated by Zazizi. The rundown pawn shop also doubles as a small-time fence. Zazizi is a huge fat woman who sweats constantly. The top three floors of the four-story building are rented out, usually with no questions asked. At one time, the black wizard Haristamilil lived here. No one knew him to be a sorcerer. And so it is that that is right out of the books, but a pawn shop, the broken wheel, you're in a hurry as a DM, lift and use at your convenience for your own. Yeah. Good DMs don't borrow. They steal. Yep, the House of Pog. The infamous black hero. A swordsman who, well, one of the members of the Slayer's Guild, the Assassin's Guild, who rarely would cross swords with Fafford and the Grey Mouser, usually would live to regret it. <laughs> uh, do you think I would sell Haga to a Slayer such as you? And, of course, where would we be without the Cash District with the Golden Lamprey, their favorite hangout? 
<laughs> Draining them dry of cash. Yep. Although it is in the wealthy cash district, this is not a well-to-do tavern. The surrounding area is filled with loan sharks and run-down pawn shops. The Lampering has a reputation for its tough customers and the remarkable quality of brawling. It is Baffert's favorite drinking establishment. <laughs> a brawl! Uh, well, I, uh, I've got to say that the city of Lankmar... Uh, or Lankmar City of Adventure by TSR. Uh, it's a worthy pickup for anybody making a long-term plan to continue DMing and to continue being a gamer for a lengthy period of time. Uh, this is a worthy find. This is a thing that you should probably have in your little reference library. Yeah, it's always a good go-to. Now there are modern supplements that have bother, uh, borrowed very heavily from the city creation system, and that tells you the test of time that this was so innovative that it used templates to place an area. You would roll, place shops, then roll again to see the quality and nature of the shops and its inhabitants and whatnot. So you could have anything from a run-down, dilapidated pawn shop to a high-class brothel and casino. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and so these were places that you would normally find interest for adventurers. Yeah, I know a brothel is always an interest to adventurers. But, uh, yeah. you know, there are other things to do besides just uh, wench at a brothel. Uh, you know, discreet meetings in the back room orchestrated by the madam who knows every important because personage. all members of society mingle. Yeah, uh, every important personage who has ever crossed the threshold knows that they can, you know, ask can you find someone you're sure can get this done? Yeah. yeah. How much gold are you willing to cross their palm with? Yeah, a few furtive whispers and exchange of a few coins or gems, and you've got yourself a contact. Adventure so, hooks aplenty. Yep, yeah, and so if in closing, um, an ode to Fritz Lieber and his works. So they stood the test of time. They're still uh, good adventure reading. I spent this afternoon uh, a little sick myself, but... Cracked open and cover of a couple and downed them easily for an afternoon's reading. So, yes, if it sometimes Fritz Lieber is very verbose, and I did find myself <laughs> a couple times like Yuga. Now, this is one I learned a long time ago, but who uses that word anymore? Yeah, I mean, you can really, boy, 1937 called <laughs> wants its words back. Yeah, uh, some meaningless trantlum. Yeah, that I gave away to some foul slattern. Uh, these books are wordy. They they demand a little bit of you. I'm yeah, just... you you kind of. I'm not saying you got to bring your A game, but you might want to have your smartphone, uh, you know, already set to reference library. Yeah, okay, you you run across a couple words here. You're, time to release the thesaurus. Uh, ah. Let it rampage once again. Uh, it will serve you well, because Lord knows, reading H.P. Lovecraft or even uh, Robert E. Howard, uh, when I was young, I had to drag out the Sithoris all the time. It couldn't be helped. There was just no way I was going to... Well, the guy was an erudite ant scholar and a poet laureate, so he knew how to string together some words and make you scratch your head. And that was half the joke between those two cats, Fritz Lieber and Harry Fisher, is finding words to trip each other up on. Yeah, intentionally. This was this is what happens when nerd writers get in a little, you know, peeing match to see who's uh, sneakier. 
Okay, <laughs> it's just a, it's a nerd fight within a nerd fight. All done amiably, of course. Of course, but, yes. But it does trip up the reader here and there, because you're, you're going to see some stuff you don't see every day. But again, you can harvest this as a DM. Uh, you can look these up, uh, pull them up with the thesaurus online, and take a few of these home with you, mull them over, think about how you can slip that into your campaign yeah. and throw a table off their game. Yep, and despite the purple pros, they're solid adventure, and um, so they run the gamut from a survival story of mountaineering to just out-and-out piracy and brawling and swordplay. Yeah, I mean, whatever, I mean, whether it's dark sorcery and uh, evil political plots or wheels within wheels as, like, dueling uh, temples, you can have that stuff too, but there's also sword fights aplenty. Oh, yeah, the... Two of them worked quite well at uh, crafting their swordsmen as the penultimate of their time. There were few that could match them easily, and none that could conquer them with surety. Yeah, yeah. Everybody paused for a moment and thought very carefully before crossing them. Marvelous facet of the novels that uh, many people thought they could, though. Yes. They thought we just throw enough at them. There's no way. Trick them. There's no way they'll get out of this one. <coughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. They totally do. <laughs> All right. Well, we made up your precious time enough, and thanks for sticking around yeah, for that, yet another that's indulgence an, into Langmark. That's, en- that's enough from the one-legged butt-kickers of gaming podcasts. Yeah, we're usually pretty busy falling down. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> if we do, nail it once in a while. But we appreciate it. And again, if you have any comments or questions, or you just would like something we to talk about or something we did wrong or something we got right, just let us know. You can send us a message on Facebook, on uh, the Dice of Screaming Facebook page. And also, you can get a hold of us on Twitter. I'm at Death Hand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. And Magi Vox at Twitter. Yeah, just let us know how we do or just drop us a line on Anchor and uh, send us a short message and uh, we'll get back to you and feature it on the podcast. So, all right. Uh, We hope you have a good week, and we'll see you Friday. Until then, may may the the dice dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.